Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Chris Vea. He is my first interview. What's up? We are here to talk about how Polynesian culture has influenced our life and where we're at in our lives right now and where we started at. Um, Chris has a background. He's very talented. I really, one thing I look forward to is your guys' digital Christmas cards oh, every thank year. You. Thank you. And you've also had some viral posts that I remember from the past. And your brothers also have some pretty cool Instagram posts. Their Halloween costumes I remember every year are pretty awesome. <laughs> First podcast ever for this podcast. <laughs> Maybe uh, you should start off by saying, okay, um, Chris, I need your best chihu, please. <laughs> yes. Hey, can I get your best chihu? Uh-oh, did that even work? I think it did. It sounded like I clipped. Maybe I should start from here. Chee-hoo! Uh, it sounds so palangy. <laughs> hey, it's better than my TV trailer. <laughs> um, see, we're... Yeah, we're still recording. Um, we were talking about the uh, creativity in your Instagram post, which I've enjoyed for... The last eight years. Thank I think, you. I think we've known each other for. It was when I moved into your ward. I moved into your ward uh, about about ten years ago. Yeah, and then your daughter. How old's your daughter? She's eleven now. Okay, yeah. So she's only a, a year older than Riley. Um, but yeah, we had a little, a little nice little ward going on. Yeah, there's the young fun ward at the time. Um. So Chris used to be in a band called Juice. Let's start from there. And actually, let's start with your first job. Okay. So my first job was Sioux Plantation um, through high school. Um, I went on a mission, church mission in the Philippines. And I had this crazy idea while I was there. And do you remember those coconut shell necklaces? Yeah. Okay. So I got back from a mission in 1996. And the trend went from... It was uh, those hemp necklaces. So the hemp necklaces were the thing that we're in, but they were at the tail end of it and they needed something to go on to, to move forward. And I had this idea of these coconut shell necklaces that I was finding in the Philippines. And so I thought that it was, you know, when I first saw it, I thought these are super cool. It looks Hawaiian, I'm Hawaiian, I can probably market these. And I got home from my mission and my brother was wearing one. And I was like, dang it, I missed the bus. So I asked him, you know, Adney. Yeah. I was like, Adney, where'd you get that necklace? So I got it from um, from a reggae concert. I was like, is it, how much you pay for it? It's like, I, I paid 20 bucks for it. Cool. A lot of people wearing them? No, I'm the only person that I know that has one. It's like, okay, cool, man. Well, let me show you what I got for five bucks. And I pulled out this huge brick. And I'm like, here, that's what I got for, for five bucks. It's probably like 100 necklaces. And he was just, whoa, uh, you should try selling them. I was like, oh, that's kind of the plan. So I, um, I, I sold those five bucks a piece on the beach, all of them in one day. I uh, went from there to actually um, landing every small surf shop between Ventura and San Diego. Every small surf shop, uh, they were selling them. 
and then I landed Paxson. And once I got Paxson, everyone else followed it. It was Paxson, Tilly's, Nordstrom, Mr. Rag, Zoomies. I had all these big accounts and I was buying these necklaces for a dime and selling them for two bucks a piece. So I had this stupid markup. I wanted to say after cost, it was like for every dollar that I was spending, 39 was coming back. And that's where it started, where I was like, oh, money's easy. I can do this. I don't need to work for the man. And I guess that was kind of the pre, the, the prequel to what was about to happen. And so for the rest of my life, I've always like looked back on that like, ah, I know how to make money. But that was the beginning of being like creative and finding out, you know, finding ways to make money. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of this podcast because it really shows showcases how Polynesians have this this creative edge. They just need to kind of tap into it. Yeah, I think that's a big issue. Um, I don't think they know how to tap into it. And hopefully by doing this, it'll inspire them to find ways to tap into it or find somebody that can help them out and mentor them into it. Um, and so you're Hawaiian? I'm Hawaiian Tongan. Okay. Hawaiian Tongan and then Chinese Irish. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Samoan, German, and a little bit of Chinese. Um, That's why we look like we could be cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go into your band, Juice. Okay. So, yeah, I went straight from that company is called Island Import. From Island Import, um, I, I was able to save enough money to just be able to, to, you know, start pursuing music. And that's always something that I've been, since I was 17, um, learned how to play the guitar, played in some punk bands. And then I saw this band called Majestic. And they were, they were a strange band. They were really good, though. And there was two Polynesians in this band. And I, I, there was one guy in the back, and I watched him. I watched him play. He was the drummer. And I was like, man, that drummer sounds way better than the lead singer. And so I talked to him after the show and became good friends. And I said, dude, you shouldn't be drumming. You need to be the front man. And he's like, I've always wanted to do that. I said, well, let's start writing some songs. And so that's where Juice started. And his name's Aaron Watney. And uh, he's Tongan. He's Tongan Maori. And so Aaron, um, he's actually, his mom is a Wolfgram. And so. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so he actually was the lead singer for the Jets for a little bit. And Aaron, by far, is one of the most talented guys I've ever met. He could sing. We were in this band, and at one time he played the guitar better than me. Or no, I was the bassist at the time. He played the guitar better than the guitarist, the bass better than me, and the drums better than the drummer. And so, I mean, talk about having, like, so much talent. And I, I, I got to say, it puts on the record, but every Wolfgram can sing. The, the, the whole family, it's kind of like Bob Marley and his kids doesn't matter who the mom was, they all ended up with his voice. I remember the Jets as a kid. I remember they did a small concert <clears throat> at Worlds of Fun back in Kansas City. And I think we had a couple of 
cassette tapes. Okay. But that was the first, my first introduction into Polynesian, Polynesians who do a pop music. Yeah. It was, I mean, what was it? Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly is the father of, of the Wolfgram kids that were the Jets. And he was such a forward thinker. And I don't think it was as much of a forward thinking thing as it was just the willingness to to try something different. You know, I come from a time when every Tongan would do yate, just brickwork. And I did it. I did tile work as a kid. And it was it was it was interesting um, to, to see somebody actually think my kids are so talented that they could be a pop band, buy them the instruments and expect them to learn the instruments and play. And they did. They were just kids. I, I want to say um, lead singer or the, the lead singer, Moana, I think she was 12 when she started singing with them. Or she was one of the lead singers. But Liz was 14 and she was 12. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So far ahead of any Polynesian, I believe, to think that they can enter into the world of uh, the, the, the entertainment industry. And I think it kind of goes back to Polynesian roots where they just, you know, they had so much faith. You'd always hear these stories in church about how some small family in Tonga or Samoa just had so much faith that they would be healed from whatever it was, from, you know, a broken leg to death. They would have so much faith that they would be healed from it. And I don't know if it was just dumb faith, but it was just, or just believing that anything is possible. Yeah. Back to the point of brickwork. Sometimes I think that stunts our growth. Because mm-hmm. um, in Samoa, it's, you know, similar thing in Tongan, Fasamoa, where you know, you're expected to provide that. I'm kind of trying to draw a connection to that's the island life. Mm -hmm. But here in a first world country like the United States, Australia, New Zealand, that's kind of changing and it's kind of indifferent because now you have those opportunities to pursue those dreams that one might have. Um, But I, I to the point, I think that has also held some people back because they feel guilty that they're not able to provide for their family. So they kind of get stuck in this cycle where they have to do the brickwork mm-hmm. to provide. Um, and you're starting to see, I think within the last 20 years, people break out of that cycle. Um, There's still some families that move in here that don't quite adjust as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is to show that you don't have to do that. Like doing the brickwork is good because it teaches you hard work. Yes. It gives you discipline. And that's, you know, in high school I worked, I gave my mom, well, my mom didn't ask for any money, but I would ask her, do you need money for anything? She said, no, you know, she provided. Um, but in like, once you get out of that into adulthood, it kind of changes. And when you start to go in to have your own families, the narrative starts to change a little bit. It, I, I agree. I agree. And I mean, a lot of us that were raised, because I'm, I'm first generation. My dad is straight from Tonga. 
my mom is from Hawaii. And when they moved out here, um, my dad got a job at a warehouse. Um, he got a job at a warehouse, but he kept that, he kept his, his, I guess it was a carpentry license. And, you know, he would always do tile work and brickwork on the side to help, you know, to help supplement that income. Um, he did pass it on, but I truly believe that my dad wanted us kids to have the American dream. I know he hated his job and all he wanted was for us to try something different, try to try to try just to do something different. And I would see it. Um, when I was with juice, you know, we do these shows at the house of blues and whenever he would show up, it'd be a, a full house. And I would always see my dad back there. He's smiling. He's smiling big in the back. And it's funny because, you know, he's an old man. And here he is hanging out with all these kids at the House of Blues. But you would see a level of pride like, hey, you're breaking the cycle. As much as, you know, I, he's, he's a very quiet guy. But I could tell. I could tell that that was something that he was proud of. Um, just to see somebody doing something different, just striving to achieve some kind of American dream because I come from such a creative family and none of us have, or none of, most of my family hasn't really honed into that creativity on a, a greater scale. They, 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 you see it in little projects here and there where they're helping their kids or Halloween costumes, like you were saying, um, you know, we would go all out on these little things, but how about sharing the creative with the world or yeah. In, in a, in a, in a much grander sense, I think that, uh, there's, there's opportunity there. And I think people love it when, when, when Polynesians share that side. Yeah. I think it's a lot of, it's that, it's that contagious laughter. You know, we all have that high pitched, <laughs> obnoxious laugh yeah. that you just can't help but to follow. But yeah, it's completely contagious. It's also a good identifier. Like, oh, hey, those are my people over there. <laughs> um, yeah, my similar story. Um, I'm first generation on my mom's side. She was born in American Samoa, and um, my grandparents were born in Samoa, and they moved to the United States for a better life. Um, they started off in Amer Samoa, moved to American Samoa, then to Laie, Hawaii, where there's a lot of connections to a lot of polys that are here in the States. Um, and then to Missouri because of the church. Okay. Um, my grandfather took it literal. And he's like, <laughs> nope, that's where we're going. Um, but yeah, he installed into them, like, we have to speak English outside of the home uh -huh. we need to assimilate we need to be like Americans so that we're accepted and you know that's where it started for my family do you feel like you lost some of your culture I don't think so okay um it it's kind of different because I feel like here we can pick and pick and choose the parts that we like and the parts that we don't like okay yeah I now that I think about it that's exactly what I did I feel like I lost a lot of my culture because I just wasn't raised with it. Just like you were saying, yeah. you know, my, I, my, I'm first generation and my parents wanted us to be very American. They didn't want us to 
to, to lose out on opportunity. So I never learned Tongan. Yeah. Say I never learned Samoan. Okay. Um, little bits here and there. I would still like to learn it, but it's, you know, we're adults now. Yeah. We're, we got crazy lives. We're working all the time. But for me, it's because my kids, my wife is Cuban. So my kids are half Cuban, quarter Samoan, quarter white. And I see that the only thing that they have is my last name. Okay. And that's important to me. Yeah. But I also want to install them. That's so much better than that. Even though you're only a quarter Samoan, the culture is still strong. Yeah. But you don't have to like every single part of it. Yeah. Um, that's so like growing up, I stri- like I wanted to know everything. I had this thirst for knowledge about our culture. And luckily in independence, we have a huge population of Tongans and Samoans. So I also got that. And there was parts that my grandma would teach me. And then I had an auntie that lived in Laie who would always send us the PCC videos. Oh, okay. So we got to learn a lot from that. I got to go live with them for four months. And I think it's one of the few times I made my mom cry. It's because I didn't want to come home. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> my uncle signed me up for football. He had me already enrolled in school. And my cool, like, cool. Uh Yeah. Of course. Not sure. I was... I was it was like yeah, elementary, I think, because I was okay. only ten. Gotcha. And my mom was crying on the other fo- other side of the phone. It's like, but mom, I really want to stay here, and I f- it's because I felt such a draw to the culture, and being surrounded by other Polynesians that were like me. Because I'm Afakasi, and growing up Afakasi, everybody asked you, not everybody, but I always got questions like, did you feel racism from white people? I was like, no. White people love me. Mm-hmm. I was a novelty to them. They're like, hey, I have a Samoan friend. And then they see <laughs> me and they're like, that guy's not Samoan. <laughs> and then I felt more, uh, I don't want to call it hate, but more animosity from my own people. Yep. I would get called names. Uh, my mom would call it sellout. Um, they'd make fun of my dad. And it kind of made me feel like part of me hated the culture at a certain point, but I still had a love for it. And that part, like, I still have issues with that part because, you know, I've tried so hard. Like, growing up as a kid, I tried way too hard to fit in as a Polynesian, as someone. Yeah. uh, Trying to dress, like, I don't know, fobbish. Yeah. At a point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I struggled with that. I still do. But in older age, you start to let a little bit of that go. Yeah. You know what? Now that I think about it, I didn't have a whole bunch of Polynesian friends. Most of my friends. I mean, I was a skater. I was a surfer. Um, and, you know, I, 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 can, I can relate completely. Because I didn't speak Tongan. Um, my nickname was Balangiloi, which means, you know, wannabe white. I'm like, uh, I am kind of, I have a little <laughs> bit of that in me. But I'm more Tongan than I am not. Well, it's funny because a lot of the kids that I grew up with that would make fun of me, the Samoan kid didn't speak Samoan. Yeah. And even when I moved to California when I was 22, a lot of those Samoans that would give me crap didn't speak Samoan either and I was like 
hey man, we're kind of in the same boat. Yeah. Just because your skin's darker than mine doesn't yep. mean that you're more someone than I am. Oh man, me, I was, people wouldn't believe that I was Tongan because I was half the size skinny kid. Yeah. I was like, I was like a buck 20 when I started high school. And by the time I ended high school, I was like 145 pounds. Yeah, I was in the same boat. And so, but as long as when people found out that I was Tongan, they were like, you're Tongan? They would buddy up with me because they knew that they had protection. Because Tongans were just known to fight just because they had no reason to fight. <laughs> they just wanted to start a fight and just hit somebody. Yeah. And so they would provoke fights and everyone's like, nope, not getting involved. Yeah, that's how... I kind of was because I was worried that my mom, I'd get a beating from her when I got home for just being involved. Yeah. Then just starting stupid stuff. Just don't lose. Yeah. Because then you're going to get a second beating from dad. Well, because like, so like growing up, I didn't have, I had my cousins who were all off Akasi too. Okay. Um, And then I went to the Southside school where it was probably five Polynesians in the entire school. And it was... Me and some Tongans and a couple <laughs> Samoans. Everybody went to the Northside school, William Christman, which I still don't like. <laughs> but that's where all my cousins went. That's where all most of the Polynesians lived. And so, yeah, I got that. So I got made fun of for not listening to, oh, you don't listen to to uh, reggae music? I was like, no, I listen to reggae music. Yeah, but you also listen to 311. You also listen to Sublime. <laughs> I was like, it's just music, man. Yeah. I still listen to Fiji. Yeah. You'd you'd be surprised because my band we were all half Tongan, and we were we were all half, which meant that we all we we all kind of grew up very similar. Some were a little more Polynesian than the other, and there was one Mexican guy. He was Mexican white, but our whole thing it was it was funny because we all were half Tongan. None of us spoke the language, and all of us had one parent that had a really thick Tongan accent. And so while we would drive the entire time, all of us talk like we are from Tonga <laughs> the whole time. It doesn't matter what time we start the trip. If we try to be serious, we always revert back to talk like this all the time. So we would sit there and we'd, we'd kind of like mimic our parents. And it was, it was kind of like, it was comforting to know that we just... Yeah. And then the, the one Mexican white guy, his accent was solid because we just all spoke like that for it was just it was silly it was silly but it was nice to know that we all had you know we, we all came from a similar background your story sounds exactly like mine which sounds exactly like Aaron's which sounds exactly like Mossy's and Heine but Heine he was part of the Jets he was the basis of our band so we, we pulled in a pro to help uh, to help us but I remember we were on tour with Blues Traveler and then the next week, we were on stage with Steel Pulse. And so we were sharing stages with... <laughs> Legends. Pops. Yeah, pop. Or like, uh, you know, these people are on the radio. And then we'd, we'd go from one to reggae music. And so it was almost expected of us to play reggae music. But that wasn't our love to play live. It was good. We didn't want to be... That Hawaiian band that would, you know, only be big in Hawaii. We wanted to be way bigger. Worldwide. Yeah, worldwide. And that was one thing even my brother told me the other day. He was like, man, Juice was really good. 
he's like, have you shared that with your daughter? Cause my daughter plays drums. And I was like, yeah. And so I, I played one, one song and he's like, do you have any of that on your, on your iPhone? I was like, yeah, I have one. I played the song. He was like, not the reggae stuff. I want to hear your other stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know that you even liked the other stuff. I thought you just, I thought every Polynesian just liked the reggae stuff. But, um, yeah, and more than that, man, Polynesians know 311. They know Nirvana. They know Sublime. Um, look at Common Kings. They covered a Sublime song recently. And so, I mean, I, I think that they're going, Polynesians in, in the industry are starting to get a lot more recognition. You yeah. J-Bug and Common Kings. Um, there's some that still get pigeonholed, though. And I wish they wouldn't, you know? Yeah, because you want to expand your audience. You don't have to just play to one. Mm -hmm. It's better for business. And it's better for your cre creative out outlet. Yeah. I mean, Leilani Wolfgram, perfect example. Are you familiar with her? No. Okay. She does a lot of reggae, but her voice is very pop and it can compete with the best. Yeah. Leilani's an amazing talent. Listen to her. Her vocals are solid. Like her, her vocals are beautiful. And if you watch her videos, you realize there's something very authentic about her. And she's like, she's a badass. But she's like this beautiful, beautiful woman. And like I told you, Wolfgrams, all of them are super, super talented. And she's just another one that just. I hope she doesn't slip through the cracks because she has every element that it takes to be one of the top stars today. Yeah. And we need more representation. It, one of the reasons I want to start the podcast this month is because it's AAPI month. That's right. And a little bit disappointed in Amazon. Um, I looked at their AAPI recommendations. Not a lot of Pacific Islanders in there. Yeah. Usually it's a lot of Chinese, Korean, Japanese movies and some from India. But where's the Once We Were Warriors? Yeah. Where's What Becomes of a Broken Heart? Like, Tamaro Morrison and I think it's Clifton Curtis. Clifton Curtis, yeah. Who gets mis He plays... That's one of the things. He's so versatile because he's played... <laughs> Indian. Indian. Uh, Colombian. Yep. He's played Arab. Uh, Arab. Mexican. He's played him. If there's a brown part. Yeah. He's played it. Doesn't get enough recognition. Um, trying to think of some other. So, oh, the there's a new one out called uh, The Legend of uh, Baron Toa. And okay. it's the guy who plays in the Young Rock. As okay. When he's playing at the University of Miami. I don't know his name, but he's a pretty incredible actor yeah. um but again not in the rec list recommendations neither is the order from Samoa yeah it's all in Samoan but it's a very powerful movie yeah I mean there's the artistic side and then there's also the comedic side and uh I don't know what his name is but he's the one that did uh Thor uh oh Taika Waititi yes that, I love that guy Jojo oh. Rabbit ridiculously hilarious I mean I, I you really have to like I, I'm, I'm a tough nut to crack 
when it comes to like just like belly laughing. But man, he did an amazing job. Isn't he the guy that did Boy? Is it called Boy? I don't know what it's called. It's the it's a it's a new Ze- a movie from New Zealand about a kid that wants to be like Michael Jackson. I think it is. But I, I believe that he did that as well because the, the the comedy seemed very similar. I'm, I have to watch it again. I've watched it once and I thought it was brilliant. But yeah, I think those we need to be. Um, promoting these people um, because they've done great work and it's not getting recognized at yeah. the high level that it needs to be recognized. Like maybe in New Zealand and Australia, uh-huh. um, but not in America. I remember the first, so every movie that I've seen before streaming, I had to get bootlegged. Oh, yeah. So, What Becomes of a Broken Heart, Once We Were Warriors. Actually, I think I got Once We Were Warriors at Blockbuster. How about Bro Town? No. Okay. You got to look. It's, it's like the, the Simpsons of... Oh. Well, the so, um, there was a couple others. Sione's Wedding. So I, I haven't even heard of some of these. Well, it's, it was, uh, it's called Simone Wedding, and I think in New Zealand it's called Sione's Wedding. Okay. I had to get on bootleg. It's pretty funny. Now I gotta see this stuff. There's a lot of clips on YouTube. Um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. There was a movie I was thinking of. Um, was it The Wheel Rider? Oh, that one too. <laughs> Cried in that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, HBO, Jonah from Tonga. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I was like, this guy got away with it? Oh, that's great! How, like, I, I but love, it's hilarious. I, I love that they, there's a, a sense of just who cares about what's politically correct. You know, I, I wasn't offended. I'm Tongan. Who cares? I don't think you see too much outrage at political not being politically correct in the Polynesian community. Yeah, because we're not PC. Yeah, not <laughs> at, at all. all. No, nope. like. Yeah, the things that come out of our aunties and uncles' mouths. Oh my like, goodness! It's funny. It is. It's hilarious, and it's. I, I think that if you just say anything in a Polynesian accent, just recreate whatever anyone says. It just. It becomes that much more funny. Yeah. Did you ever do so? My four months in Hawaii, I came back with a thick pigeon accent, and then anytime I hear the accent, I start talking. In that accent, and I can't help it. My wife looks at me, and is like, "Who are you?" I was like, "I can't help it. It's yeah. just something that happens." Yep. My my mom went to Punahou, which was, uh, it was supposed to, it well, it is. It's a prestigious school. It, it you know, it, it produced a president of the United States, um, whom I choose not to speak of. Um, but yeah, Punahou was a very prestigious school. It's a private school, and then there was Kuhuku. And so, not Kuhuku, I'm sorry, um, Kamehameha. And so they were rivals. Um, but one was very, very authentic Hawaiian. You know, they, they learn how to play the uke in school. Um, they learn all the, 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 they learn about their culture. And then the other one is just, you know, it's, it's a private school in Punahou. And my mom was so proud when we were kids. No, I don't speak pigeon. I don't speak pigeon. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, she was, I went to Punahou. 
yeah, the second her cousins get on the on the phone, she it, it just automatically came out, and we're like, "Mom, you're such a liar." I mean, I, she didn't even know. I just wonder what like my wife. They haven't been to Hawaii yet. Oh, you got to take them I, right now. When tickets are cheap, I works crazy. Yeah, like we work Saturdays too. But to pick up that accent, I think it would drive her nuts. Do it. And if my kids pick up that accent. I would love it, but it's something that, you know, something that sticks with me because that was such an important part of my life. Those four months there. Um, but yeah, the, the accent, it's just when we were in singles ward, um, it was the deer Creek ward before, um, we used to have the high council come from the Tonga ward and come speak. And all of a sudden he starts talking and then all of the, the poly people in the back, because we all sat in the back because we don't like sitting in the front. We don't like getting called on. <laughs> no one, no poly. We just look at each other. They should just have a back row for yeah. church. Yeah. <laughs> or the overflow or yes. the lobby. <laughs> but we, we all look at each other and we start busting up laughing because, you know, it's been a while since we heard an authentic accent. Oh, man. That was by far some of the most fun that we've had like because none of us spoke the no none of us spoke tongan but we would have like our version of what we thought like aaron his accent is so good and he was one of the uh, the main songwriters at yo gabba gabba oh i remember you telling me about yeah. that didn't and one so, of them play so there were there were a couple of polynesians involved uh mossy who was my lead guitarist he was uh, he was the voice of Broby, the the green character on Yo Gabba Gabba. He's the one that sang "Party in My Tummy" and all that. Polynesian guy, crazy crazy talented. Um, and his older brother Aaron, he was he it it was funny because he had some voices on there, and the son was Tongan. The son actually the the uh, you know like the sun in the sky. You know, the sun in the sky, he talked like this the whole time, every time. And it was, uh, my kids still laugh whenever they see that. They're like, ah, oh, the sun is tongue and it's Uncle Aaron. I already know that. And so, but I still remember this one time. It's just so, it was just silly. I remember this one time it was uh, Aaron and I, and we were driving from Arizona. And we just, we had the biggest belly laughs. All the way from, it was like, for like three hours, we just kept on talking and just like creating dumb scenarios. And he's like, Chris, what do you think it's like when Tongans get it on? And I'm like, oh man. He's like, it's probably like, honey, you like my new fishnet stocking? It's made of a real fishnet. And just some of the silliest stuff. And he's like, I don't even want to get into it, but the, the ideas behind these things, just taking the Tongan accent and applying it to American culture and how funny that could be. But yeah, I think that the best times is just breaking into that accent. And now I, I have two accents. I have that one and I also do a Filipino accent because before you go, before you start learning the language in the Philippines, you have to make sure that they understand your English. And so you just start mimicking that. You realize that they're like, you say something about chocolate. And like, chocolate? Oh, you mean chocolate. And so, um, yeah, so I, I'd always get those two mixed up. I don't even know why I'm going on this tangent. 
But uh, you know that uh, I can do two accents. Uh, it's just Filipino and Tonga accent because uh, that's what I know. Very good. How many horse jokes did you hear growing up? <laughs> How many rock jokes did you hear? <laughs> A lot. Hosi. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, shoot. I live in the Philippines. I ate balut. Oh, yeah. My cousin served in the Philippines. He talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Not one of my proud moments. But, yeah. Lots of lots of horse jokes. Do, do you know the do you know the rock jokes? Why they... What the joke is about the rock? Uh, wasn't something to do with the dentist? No. It, this is what the irony that the, the rock named him. You know, he's called the rock. Because that's a, a big Samoan thing. And so... The rock thing, well, Tongans eat horse, so we're gonna get you know a lot of uh, a lot of heat for eating horse. But I guess back in the time, back in back in the day, um, Tongans used to wipe their butts with leaves. Samoans used to wipe their butts with rocks, and that's where the rock joke comes from. I don't know. <laughs> this Polynesian humor isn't that funny. <laughs> But you just put an accent behind it, it becomes hilarious. Oh yeah, accent and and that uh, high pitched laugh. <laughs> it's like what's what's the uh, most famous Polynesian? Uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, what's the most famous Polynesian phrase or saying? What's that? That's my cousin. Oh, that's my cousin. <laughs> I was everyone's cousin. It's, well, yeah, it's funny. I'm sure you were everyone's cousins too because it was like. They they don't want to claim you because you're you know you're you're, you're a white version, but they want to claim you, yeah. and so I mean, into your face they won't. But after that, oh, prende that guy's my cousin. I know he. And so, but yeah, I'm. I just remember stupid jokes. The Polynesian jokes are just they're good. They're good. They're so good. They're stupid. Yeah. Knock knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes how tongues talk. What's the uh so what's the what's the word for fart in Tongan? Oh de epilo. Okay, in Samoan it's kaipu. <laughs> is that the word for fart? I don't know. But knock knock. Who's there? Kaip Kaipu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the jokes that we got growing up. Yeah. It's so inside. Like that other knock knock knock. Knock who's there? Mima. Mima who? Uh, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. So my cousins would get sent out to Hawaii to live with my aunties and uncles for a little bit. And when they came back, they brought all these phrases and words <laughs> like mahu, puka teeth. Oh, puka teeth, man. I had puka teeth. Yeah. Did everything. And we picked up on it. And that's what we started saying. And we're eight seven-year-old kids just running around calling each other these names and, <laughs> and like it was just it was a fun time yeah yep yep mahu i remember this time aaron and i we so one of the things that we did it was like our love for music was actually playing the more pop rock stuff but um we would do polynesian we would do hawaiian music and like Polynesian humor, it's just within Polynesians, it's still funny. I don't know why. Because I'll be like, 
uh, you know, I'll see Adney, my brother at, I always run into him at Walmart for some reason. And he'll see, he'll walk by and be like, hey, tae. and I turn around and look and he's like, you know your name. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's not even that funny, but it's hilarious when you hear it, like being yelled across Walmart or, um, it's going to say, I don't know, just the, the, those phrases are, are still funny just within us. There was a phrase that, that popped in my mind that we, we used to say. And it's, yeah, with Aaron, uh, my good friend Aaron from the band, we still keep in touch. And it's it's like we pick up where we left off every time. And it starts off with, you know, calling each other some swear words in Tongan. And then, yeah, I think I think still to this day, 50% of our conversation is in an accent. We can't even have a serious conversation. I didn't grow up. So I don't have friends like that, that were Polynesian, that I've stayed in contact with. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because, I mean, we both picked up, like you said, you know, you can pick up the parts of the culture that you want to pick up. And I picked up the parts that I wanted to. And Aaron picked up the parts that he wanted to. But there's one thing that just comes naturally to Tongans or naturally to Samoans, naturally to Polynesians. And that is just being super generous. And I know with Aaron, when we were in this band together, um, one of us always had money and one of us never had money. And it always flipped back and forth. So not everybody. So, you know, if I had money at the time, we would finish a gig and there'd be like $300 to get paid or whatever. And I would look at it like, are you good? Are you good this month? And he's like, nah, man, I need rent. I was like, here, just take all the money. And that was always our, because we were the we were the brains behind the band. And we would, sometimes we'd just do these little gigs. And it would always go back and forth. It's like, hey, do you, are you good? Nah, man, I'm, I'm barely getting by. No problem, man. I'm doing good this month. You take all the money. Um, and we just, it never, I mean, I think we've borrowed money from each other. <laughs> Who knows how many times, but we, it always flip-flop. When he was doing well with Yo Gabba, I was in the middle of a divorce. Um, and when it switched, it switched back. And, you know, he was he was on tour with, like, Wyclef and doing all this stuff. But he came he came by one day and we were talking. He's like, I got I, I have to leave this situation. I'm starting from I'm starting from nothing. I don't have a car. I don't have anything. I'm like, no problem, dude. Just stay in my office. Live in my office. You lived in my office for like six or seven months. But that's just the Polynesian culture. That's like my favorite part about it is the fact that you don't have to feel bad about asking. But you know that you're going to get everything back. And you're going to get it back, whether it's in blessings or whatever. But I'm, that was one thing. And that's, a, that's what it reminded me of. Going completely off the subject, why, the, the thought that came to my head earlier about our Polynesian jokes. And there was this one time where we, Aaron and I, we would do these Polynesian gigs where we'd just show up. We would do Hawaiian gigs. We probably knew 10 Hawaiian songs. So we would, we would have to last like three hours. And we'd make those songs really long. Nobody knew what we were singing about. 
And I remember this one time, it was just, we were doing a wedding or something. And it was just me and Aaron jamming. I was on the uke, he's on the guitar. And we we're just harmonizing, doing our thing. And there was only one person dancing. And this guy is just, he's dancing as flamboyant as possible. And Aaron is singing his heart out. And me, I couldn't help it. You know, how there's always like a chee-hoo or something in the background. Well, so I had to say it. So Aaron's sitting there singing. And I'm like, ma-hoo. <laughs> and Aaron just stops, turns around, and just keeps on playing his guitar. The, the, the vocals went out. It was just all musical. I think I was screwed up on the uke from then for the next couple minutes, but we could not stop laughing. Just stupid Hawaiian humor. But anyway. Uh, anytime you get polys together, it's going to end up being a good time. Yeah. Talk story, jam session, kava. Yeah, I think that's what I miss about, you know, when I, before I got married, I was, I would mix with my cousins a lot and it was the social aspect of it Yeah, and getting, you know, getting to know them more uh-huh. and then just learning about the culture, even though Kava is kind of nasty. But oh man, I guess so is alcohol. Yeah. You do it to, to just have that reason to loosen up and enjoy each other's company. Oh yeah, it definitely loosens you up. Like we had some of the best best times i remember the very first time i tried kava i spit it out it's I never tasted it before yeah and i got made fun of oh my gosh and so i moved out here five years later after that and then i hanging out with my cousins and uh they're like i was like i don't want to do this <laughs> and so i went in the garage and i was like always in the garage like you want a cup i was like sure downed it and I just kept it in and I just it's like I'm not spitting it out <laughs> I gotta make up for that one then they didn't forget either oh of course yeah so they'll bring it up every five minutes yeah and then after that it was it was it was good times that was like at the height of the UFC and I had a BJ Penn shirt on oh nice and one of my cousins was like I can take him I was like I laughed I was like no you can't and he's like what you don't take me serious it's like dead serious. It's like, dude, we'll go at it right now. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm not BJ Penn. I'm not BJ Penn. But those like everybody gets that uh, that courage. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the liquid courage. We should do it. We should get a, a bunch of us together and just have a just a good time. I mean, you see how many guitars I have in this room. Yeah. Um, whenever we we have a get together, uh, half of these guitars are off the walls and we're just all jamming um in in the living room and it's been it's been a couple of years but i remember one time uh, i was representing a band and they were all polynesian as well but they were actually even diluted even more um but you know we 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 still got a big group together and in the living room it was do you know who alex iono is i know the last name Okay, he has, he's he's actually signed to Interscope. Um, he's done some pretty big stuff, uh, big things. I know that he's he did a movie called something back to Ohana or something like that on. Okay, on Netflix. Yes, on Netflix, and so he's he's the main the main character. 
um, or the not the it's the girl and then he's he's the brother, one of the main characters. Um, but he's actually a super talented person. We had him, another uh, a big group of Polynesians. It was almost like we were handing it down to the next generation. Hey, keep this culture alive. I know that you know, like my wife is white, my kids. One looks Polynesian, the other two not so much. Uh, another three not so much. Um, but I want to I want to pass that culture onto them. Yeah. Um, but it was it was cool. Alex was here. Dinah Jane from Fifth Harmony was here, and this band. And it was just it was all of these you know half Polynesian kids just having a big jam session. Every guitar was off the wall, and just I want to say there was like. 50 some odd people in my living room just crammed in around Christmas time, just guitars and jamming for hours. That's, a, that's I think one of the things that has drawn me to you when we went to church together, Adney and uh, Lilo, mm-hmm. no judgment. Yeah. They don't care. You guys don't care if anybody's off a of or anything like that. It, it felt very welcomed. And, you know, we did have those like, Hey, did you guys do this when you were younger? Like, did you get hit with a sandal? <laughs> no, it's just a belt. Belt yeah. in the hangar. Belt, brooms. My grandma would chase. We, it was horrible, but me and my cousins used to make fun of her accent. And uh, and every time she was mad, she'd go, oi, oi. And we'd mock her. And I think she kind of like took it lightheartedly but she would chase us around with this little this little broom <laughs> and then one time my cousin my little cousin was like that was our baby my cousin kent we're in the uh, in the car and she used to drive us around everywhere <clears throat> he goes hey grandma oi oi and she just starts cracking up laughing i was like wait a minute how come you get mad at us <laughs> yeah <laughs> so is that is that like one of the sounds i don't know that sound and so, um, i mean no that's i think that's just something we picked up from her okay or like it's kind of like when she was frustrated she'd be like, Oy. so in uh in have you ever heard ea yeah okay ea that's a that's such a, i thought it was a tongan thing but we grew up saying that how and another thing that tongans would do is they do yeah that oh my god i like when there's something stuck in their teeth <laughs> and i was like what is the meaning of it's like and we just laugh because I just remember like knocking on the door, the bathroom door. I don't know why you knock on a bathroom door if it's locked, but they knock on the bathroom door and instead of like, yeah, I'm in here. We just hear a, <laughs> like, get the heck out of here. <laughs> don't waste your time or, you know, you ask your, your dad a stupid question. And it's funny because on the, on the family, there's a, a VEA family website or Facebook page. And somebody made a comment, and underneath it, there was just a bunch of H's. And I knew exactly <laughs> what that was. Or we got, uh, <laughs> or my favorite, my uncle, when I lived with him, when I moved to California, he'd always refer, like, I know he's my, he loved me. Like, uh. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. He's, uh, he's one of my, he's, he's someone, so I look up to him the most. He's, you know, he's married to my aunt, but he's also helped us out. You know, if I have any questions about culture, I go ask him. But he, when he talked to my aunt, I know he's talking about me because sometimes he's talking to someone. He's like, hey, the boy. I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm right here. I'm, yeah. I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. This is how I knew he was talking about like, hey, the boy. Oh, man. 
but yeah, he was, he's a, he's been a big influence on my life. Um, but yeah, he's, he's an example of the hard worker that provides. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anything I have questions about culture wise, that's who I, he's my go-to guy. He's a, a Matai. So, okay. How about Tukuya? No. Okay. That was one thing. Tukuya. Or Ia. Ia. Did I ever say that? Yeah, it'd be mainly just my grandma that would make the well, and that and the older someone ladies at church. Yeah, my kids they picked up on some things, um, and most of it's from grandma's house, and most of it's just from you know because I, my mom, and dad had nine kids, and of the nine kids, we've all we've created a I want to say there's thirty two grandkids. I mean, it could have been way more, but. You know, there's uh, my sister's winning right now. She she just had one another one, so she's actually got five kids. All the rest of us top out at four at four. Um, but yeah, it's it's neat to see what and what these kids end up picking up and what they don't. Um, my sisters, two of my sisters, or actually all three of my sisters, um, their kids decided to up and move to Hawaii, and they wanted to become one with their culture. And I mean, they've been out there for three or four years now. Amazing, amazing that they would want that, you know. And they, they're, I feel like they, they may have gotten trapped into that, you know, work really, really hard. And I, I don't know what they do, but I know that it's, it's manual labor, you know. But I think they're learning a lot. They're young. They, some of them had a little bit of college, but as boys, they just wanted to get out. You know, they, they, like you, you know, you want, you needed, you needed that time to, to, to learn the culture. I still haven't fully learned. I, I, there's a lot that I need to learn. Oh yeah. There's still a lot. Yeah. Um, I, when I graduated high school, I was supposed to, uh, one of the things I was supposed to do is move to Hawaii mm-hmm. and work for my uncle on the taro plantation. Oh, wow. And got derailed. I met a girl, ruined my life for a couple of years, <laughs> uh, regret it. But um, then I ended up moving to California. That's how I met my wife. Yeah. So everything has its way of working out. How many kids you got now? Three and one on the way. No kidding. Yep. Congratulations. Two next month. And how old's the oldest now? He'll be 10 in July, so nice. Shut up. Yeah. Man. That's right, because you're right. Because, I mean, Halen... It's crazy when you just think about them at that age, because yeah. I haven't seen them since. Yeah, it's since we were both holding babies out in the freaking foyer or foyer. Yeah, that's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, I used to tell everyone this is my ticket out of class. Now my ticket out of class is just not showing up and putting on Zoom and blinking out the screen. (laughs) I remember I would uh, say my son's fussy. Yeah, yeah. Drive around for an hour. (laughs) Go look at real estate. (laughs) Be like. Come back to church and like, uh, how come there's a McDonald's cup in here? <laughs> I, I remember Lilo, he did not care. He like, if we didn't have snacks, he'd go to McDonald's because it was right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring back uh, chicken nuggets and fries all the time. Oh, not yeah. all the time, but my kids appreciated it. I appreciated it. I appreciated it too. Are you kidding me? I'm there. I probably ate one of the kids. But yeah, this, you know. 
That, so let's go into real estate. Okay. That's that's what you're doing currently. Yeah. It's hot market. It's a it's a very hot market and excuse me. <coughs> I um I I went into it um basically what happened is I I was in the management field for a while and uh it led from one thing to another and next thing you know I land Radio Disney as an account. And this is because I was I, I took my artists and started off with these young bands and I could not get them a gig. It just didn't make sense. Why would I take these kids and put them into um put them into to, to bars and clubs? And so I decided, you know what? It's not the right thing for me to do. I'm not gonna put them in bars, I'm not gonna put them in clubs, I'm not gonna put them in places where they shouldn't be. And but they you need experience at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how many times you practice in front of a mirror or how many times you practice in some, you know, studio that you, you rent out. It doesn't matter. You have to perform in front of people in order to learn how to connect. And so um, I was fast tracking these kids. They needed to do shows. So I booked them the first band. I booked them 50 gigs in schools, in middle schools and high schools I all over. I think I saw that. Yeah. And so I created this this avenue and I had a, a, a friend of mine reach out and he's like, hey, how are you doing this? Can you book me? I'm like, dude, you're a Grammy Award winning producer. Are you sure you want to go to high schools? Like, dude, I have no, I have no shame. There's, no, there's nothing about that. I, I need to build a fan base. And so I was like, oh, sure, sure thing, you know. And, you know, the, the, his credentials are crazy. It's like, he's worked, you know, songs with, with Chris Brown. He's got a Grammy with Chris Brown. He's worked with, you know, all these different artists. And, you know, and now he's at your school. And it, it just kept on trickling. I, I ended up booking, like, three different bands that I was managing into these middle schools and high school tours. And I didn't know that it was a hard thing to do. Didn't know it was a hard thing until the record labels were like, hey, I want to put my, my bands through there. How much would you charge? And I was like, wait a second, this could be a business. So at that point, I just started booking bands through the schools. I didn't realize that schools had red tape. I jumped over all those red tapes. I jumped over everything just because I just didn't know any better. And sometimes it's, it's better just to play dumb. I was actually just dumb. And so I went out and I, I, I would just like leverage these schools one against the other and be like, okay, well, I don't know, but your rival school, they, they decided to book them. Oh, okay, then we'll book them too. And so I created all these relationships and most of them were here in the Inland Empire in Los Angeles. And yeah, I, next thing you know, I had record labels asking me to book their, their talent. And I was like, I'm going for Radio Disney. I went to Radio Disney and we started getting into talks, landed the deal, Corona hits. Have to give back all the money. And all I know in my head is I've been in the music industry for years. The only thing I can, I, I know marketing. I know how to teach people how to market. And this is the first time where I'm like, I have to market myself now. I've done, you know, I was like, what's the most expensive thing anyone buys? Their house. It's the biggest purchase they'll ever make. Big purchases means big commission. And that's all I could think about is like, 
what can I do? This was like the first time it's like, what's, it's not what I want to do, but what can I do to provide the step up for my family? And as soon as Corona hit, I was like, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm going to get my real estate license. So March, I started studying. Um, they couldn't get me a, a test until October and took the test, passed it. And three days later, I'm, I'm signing with a brokerage. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And so I, it's, it's crazy because it started off as something that I was just going, going to provide money from that to now I actually enjoy it. I'm having a ton of fun doing it because I see the creative side and the creative side and the marketing side of it is what draws me toward it. You know, it's almost like you can go to any realtor, but why are you going to pick me? What can I do that other people aren't doing? And at the end of the day, it's still an emotional buy. At the end of the day, you're still selling yourself. And so, you know, working, I mean, you can see this poster over here, um, the Blues Traveler with Icona. I mean, there's, I, I keep that there because it reminds me of I had the fun that I had on the marketing angle of that. I got a story about that if you, you yeah. okay, so I um, I wanted to, to, to work with big bands. This is the, when our, my band had changed its name from Juice to Icona at the time. And we, um, it was weird. We had all these different, um, let me rewind. So when we when we changed our name from from Juice to Icona, uh, we, we 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 were kind of we were at the verge of something big, but we just didn't have any shows with any notable artists. And I, at the time, I think we did maybe we had a couple, but they were like reggae bands, and we needed to break through. And the only way to do that in in Los Angeles is to work with the big agencies that represent all the big artists. And so there's the main agencies at the time were CAA, William Morris, and the agency. And I was like, I have to, I have to figure this out. This is 2005, I think, 2004. And I was like, uh, how do I even get a name? Everything was blocked. It was like impossible. There was just wall after wall. You could not get through to the agents. They had to reach out to you. And so I posed as the manager of Icona. And I was like, I forgot what my name was. But no, I just called myself Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm Chris. I manage the band Icona. Um, and so I, I, I scoured the internet and I found a list of names. And I wasn't sure if they were real or not. And I went and I, I took all those names and I, I found one email address. And I was like, okay, these are the list of names for everyone that is an agent in, um, in William Morris. And so I took those names and I found the one email address and was like, first name dot last name at WMA or something.com. I forget what it was. And I'm like, I'm going to email everyone. And so I sent out a mass emailer, but I, I try to personalize each one of them just a little bit and no one got back to me. And I was like, well, they're not bouncing back. So I know they're going through. This is before like they, they really had like these big spam searches. And so I was like, I know it's, it's, it's working. And then one email came back and the one email said, 
so-and-so no longer works with William Morris. I'm sorry. And I was like, that's the best email that I could have. Now that I know that so-and-so doesn't work at William Morris, I have a contact. So, oh man, Scott Galloway was his name. And so I was like, now I resent those emails out. I looked, I researched Scott Galloway and he had a bunch of different artists, Hootie and the Blowfish, Blues Traveler, a couple of other people. And I, I said, hey, look, I was working with Scott Galloway and he, we were working on, on something with Blues Traveler. Who is, who's representing them now? Oh, it's Keith Sarkissian. <laughs> and so they forwarded my email to Keith Sarkissian. You could have saw that roadblock and be like, ah, man. Well, the one, the one email that I got back was like, so-and-so doesn't work with us. It's dead. No, you got to flip that around and be like, hey, I have a contact. <laughs> and so I, I sent it out to like three different people. Hey, who's, I was working with Scott, or uh, yeah, Scott Galloway. Who is, who's, who's representing? Boom. They gave up the information so quick. And so that's what I love the creative process in the management part of it. And so, I mean, I'm, I hate self-promotion, but doing real estate, doing real estate is, is neat because you rely on you and only you. Managing talent, you're dealing with egos. Managing talent, you're dealing with their problems. Managing talent, you, you rely on them and then there's no guarantee. Meaning it doesn't matter what kind of contract you write. If you take that artist and blow them up, at what point does the artist realize that all the power is in their hands? And if you didn't build a strong enough relationship, then, I mean, it doesn't matter that the money talks and there's no loyalty. So you have to make sure that there's some kind of loyalty. And so I've, I've worked with so many artists where I, I realize I don't want to manage because I rely on them. They're the talent and I'm the manager. And if you don't have that relationship, the second Scooter Braun shows up, they'll bail on you. It doesn't matter how, and a lot of these people that you do have very strong relationships. I mean, I always made sure that they came into our house they met my family. They met my wife. And I would tell them straight up, hey, this is how much money I need to make. From a business point of view, this is how much money I need to make in order for me to survive. Making 20% of that means that you have to make X amount of dollars. Do you think your band can make X amount of dollars? And it's, it's usually a figure that they, they would have never even thought of. But... Um, you know, we've been successful with some of them and then egos get in the way and it's, it's a very common, common track, but it's crazy because now I'm relying on myself. Now I have to do all the social media things that I told them to do. And I, I hate doing that. I hate being self-promoting. If you look at my real estate page, the real realtor on Instagram, there is nothing about real estate on there. I don't even care. 
I'm just like, you know what? This is me. This is, this is what I'm selling right now is that I'm a normal human being. And so if I can sell that I'm a normal human being, um, you know, maybe that's, that's my angle is that I'm relatable, you know? And so and my wife and I just had this conversation, you know, she helps me better understand because she watched, she, she looks with outside eyes and she critiques everything. She's the person, you know, when I come up with an idea that says, Chris, not all your ideas are good. <laughs> hey, don't be that brutally honest. Don't say it like that, but you're right. But I, I have ideas all the time, but she's, she told me, you know, when she was looking at my, my real estate page, she's like, I like what you're doing, but you could do this, this, and this better. I'm like, okay, I will take that advice and I'll use it because you have the ability to look from a different angle. And she critiques hard and I need that. Um, Cause yeah, as, as much as I believe that I understand marketing, um, yeah, I, I, so many times, you know, just driving and she'll say, I love this song. I'm like, I hate this song. <laughs> and then that song will blow up and I'm like, ah, I was wrong. You heard something that I didn't hear. I mean, I could, I have the ability to hear music if it has every pop hook in it. And yeah, she has the ability to just like really like, I don't know, she, to, to, to love all music. But for me, it's like, it's got to be an anthem or else it's not completely obvious. Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of like went all over the place with that, that question. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to real estate, the beauty behind it is I get to rely on myself. I don't have to rely on other people and their decisions because time and time again, people prove to be unreliable. And so, yeah, I, I like that aspect of it. There is a lot of creativity that goes into it. Um, and then there's a lot of red tape as well. You know, you, there, there's so many discriminate discrimination laws that are in there. And so I, I, I was talking to my, um, you know, they're like, how do you want to brand yourself? I don't know. Maybe I could be like a Polynesian realtor or whatever. And like, well, you can't do that. You can't just I'm like, it's not even a big enough market for me to target. Yeah. I just know that growing up, you know, everybody wanted a brown friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to be your brown friend, man. <laughs> so it works. Yep. But yeah, I've, I've enjoyed all your content and all your pages. Thanks. Your the real estate one's pretty. You, you got some funny stuff on there. I try really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want. I try. It's funny because I'll I'll look at him like man, and thank goodness I had enough content over the last ten years. I'm like oh, I'll just repost this. Um. But um, yeah, did you see the one with with Courtney Card? Yeah, Courtney Kardashian. Uh, yes. Okay, so I post it and I ask my wife, I'm like, is this a good idea? And the first one is Courtney Kardashian standing behind me, um, like biting her finger and just kind of like looking at me. And then the next one is my wife pulling my tie, and you know, like pulling me in close. And underneath the the caption was, "My wife taught me this." Or one of my wife's lessons or whatever. Uh, take what's yours. Don't get caught looking. Take what's yours. And immediately, people were hitting me up. They are like, you look thirsty. 
And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then I realized, it's like, you didn't scroll down and see my other post. That's my wife. <laughs> That's my wife. It's not just, you know, just a couple of girls. The idea behind it was like, look at the top. I have a picture with Kourtney Kardashian from years ago, but I'm just recycling all this content and trying to like throw it out there and just, but yeah. And she immediately, that girl took down her post immediately. Like, oh, I'm sorry, unfollow. I think that's the thing about social media is anybody can say anything, Yeah, but they can retract it, but it's yeah. never gone because people screenshot it. Yep. Stuff. Yep. I should have screenshot that and put her on blast, but... I don't have time for that. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've probably put up some pretty stupid posts, and I think my wife is like, yeah, take it down. I'm yeah. like, why? We <laughs> <laughs> end up in this fighting back and forth about it. I was like, but I think it's really funny. She's like, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trust my creative ability. But she's been wrong also. She's been wrong. And, and I've, I've moved forward with some ideas. But what I do like, like about my wife is I come up with dumb ideas and then she makes me live up to those ideas. She's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Like, all those Christmas cards stem from a dumb idea. And I'll, one of us will shoot it out. And, you know, usually I'll, I'll, I'll take an idea like, you know, the, whether it's the Christmas card or um, Halloween costumes. Like, I thought it would be a really great idea one day. My son was three years old. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make him a Chippendales dancer. How awkward is that? that there's a three-year-old walking around in October shirtless with black pants, a collar and a bow tie and some, some cuffs. And I, I thought it was a great idea. And she made me live up to that idea. And she thought it was funny. She likes my dumb ideas. And it was hilarious to watch people because, you know, just like people would like to some people, some little kids, little kids didn't get it, but the parents all got it. And there's like, I remember walking and one little girl say, said, um, what is he supposed to be? And so my, my, I'm like, it's, he's James Bond, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say he's a Chippendales dancer. You know, it's just so awkward. And that, that's, I guess, my sense of humor. If I can make myself laugh, then I win. If I can get my sister to just, like, cringe, then I win. I guess I like the cringy aspect of things. And so just put, just creating, creating an awkward situation. Um, and my, my kids, they hate it. <laughs> They hate it. And I don't know where this dry sense of humor comes from, but like I'll just like start up a conversation with somebody in the store, say something really awkward and walk away. Like, dad, why did you do that? Like they're going to go home and tell their friends how weird this guy was. Like the joke is, is it really on them or is it on me? I don't know. I don't care. As long as I feel like it's funny. I don't know. Maybe that's a really bad thing about marketing. I, it can't be marketing if I'm the only one that gets the joke. I had this, uh, I've had this idea for a long time and, uh, I passed it by Lilo because he's pretty good at photo editing mm -hmm. and I thought it'd be hilarious to have this huge photo of me on the wall, but it's, you know, like the, the ones where they do with the babies that are naked and they're on the, like the bearskin rug <laughs> yeah. and just superimpose my head on it. 
Okay. He just looked at me like, no. I felt felt defeated because I thought he would think it would be hilarious to do. And my wife is like, see, I told you. I was like, but it's fun. And she's like, no. I don't know if you saw the, um, I I don't know why. My wife was gone last week. She was doing a a job out in Las Vegas. And so I'm like, I, I didn't run anything by her. She does. She screens all my dumb ideas. And I did this video. It was, I just, I just took out the audio and I put my own audio over it. And it was the audio of the mayor of New York talking about vaccines. And he's like, um, so you're telling me I can get these free French fries if I get vaccinated? These delicious French fries? And you're telling me that there's a burger aspect to this too? So... I mean, I'm already vaccinated, but yeah, what 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 a great thing to do is that if you get vaccinated, you get a friend, you get French fries and a burger. And so I went and she already saw the video, and she thought it was like politically charged, but it wasn't. It was just me being stupid. And so I took the video and I put my voice on. I'm like, are you telling me that I can get French fries if I refer a friend to Chris? <laughs> And there's a burger aspect to this? If I refer a friend to Chris, and so it, the lips kind of match. And at the very end, it just, it, it, scroll, it scrolls up and it's like, let me sell your house and I'll give you a Big Mac. No, I'll give you a Happy Meal. And I send it to her. She's asleep. I've already posted it. And then she sends me a thing. No, do not post that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, too late. <laughs> too late I'm, I'm sorry and so i mean she thought it was political i wasn't trying to be political i was just trying to be funny like hey you know this this is such a silly thing you know for, for french fries and a soda or whatever man it comes cheap man but i did get a lot of comments a lot of people thought it was funny um no negative comments so probably lost a couple of followers but whatever it happens. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to wrap up. Cool. Um, you're probably somebody I'm going to come to a lot. Probably a repeat guest. That would be amazing. Um, um, we'll do a call-in because I live in St. George and you're in Upland. Yeah. I have diarrhea of the mouth sometimes. And so, yeah, you, there's going to be a lot of editing happening. So sorry, Mr. Editor. Um. But yeah, if you are looking for a house in the Inland Empire, Los Angeles, Inland Empire, Orange County, yeah, I, I'm I'm licensed for the entire state of California. I will link uh, Chris's Instagram pages in the show notes and on the Instagram page. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for being my first guest, and thank you for just the content, man. Like I. So nervous. You were on the first list of people that I thought would be a good interview. Thank you, man. Um, I mean, I was probably on the bottom of that first list, but I will take it all day long. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, if you would like to give us a follow, Chihu Podcast on Instagram and send us an email chihu podcast at gmail.com thank you for listening take care